Hello, you're listening to Done to Death, a podcast where we pour horror films into our eyes and ears and vomit words out of our mouths. I'm Peter. <laughs> and I'm Ali. Each episode of Done to Death, we're going to look at a thematically but maybe tenuously linked pair of horror films and talk about our reactions to them. How are you doing, Ali? Doing well? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty tired, but um, really, really excited to talk about this week's films. That stage of the day where it's getting very rapidly dark feels like a good time to be talking about horror films it's been snowing and raining for a lot of the day as well i'm I'm swaddled in an an enormous thick knit jumper as well just for the extra cozy cozy feel i've got a jumper that i think i'm gonna wear every time we watch the watch films because it's just the coziest and comfiest (laughs) it's my safety jumper can you like zip it up and hide behind it is that no i can't no (laughs) but it's got really long sleeves so i can like tuck my hands inside them which makes me feel safe Ah, that's interesting. Like, protect your hands so nothing's going to come and chop your fingers off. Yeah, something like that. A friend of mine in uni wrote a short horror story about a villain called Dr. Fingers who chopped people's fingers off. (laughs) Wow. Maybe maybe those things are related. So for this episode's link, I think it's, it's not actually too tenuous. I think it's pretty solid because it is found footage and both of these films are objectively inarguably found footage films yeah what one i guess the quintessential found footage horror film or one of the the handful of quintessential found footage films this week we're looking at the blair witch project the 1999 film uh, version and wreck a 2007 film uh yes to I, i think it would be hard to say that there are many found footage films that are considered better examples of the genre Certainly than Blair Witch. Uh, yeah. Blair Witch, absolutely iconic when it comes to found footage. So before we dive into the film, should we talk about found footage in general? Yeah, I think we should. What was your impression of the genre before we watched either of these films? You hadn't seen either of these films before, had you? I had not seen either of these films before we watched them for the episode. And also, oh, I was thinking about this. I have never watched a found footage film before. So this was completely new to me. My impression of the genre before watching was... Well, it was kind of, I think, fully based around, well, tangential representations of it. Because, like I said, I'd never seen any of it firsthand. So a lot of the tropes and memes had kind of made their way into my cultural understanding without the context. So... I felt a bit like I both didn't quite know what to expect and also that I knew exactly what I was going to get. <laughs> if that, I don't know if that, that can possibly make any sense. Funnily enough, because I asked you this before we watched the films and you said something, which I don't know whether you made it as an offhand comment. Uh, you said you were worried about getting motion sick. I absolutely a, was. Yeah. yeah, which is quite a specific worry to have. And interestingly, I, I think I read that the, the, the screening of the original Blair Witch Project made people so so motion sick they people vomited in the theater oh no but but weirdly having watched the two films the first one like the the motion of the camera it's compared to the second one <laughs> it's there's barely anything there right yeah yeah it's, it was actually quite interesting and i wonder if it was just because people were not used to it whether because blair witch had kind of deliberately wonky kind of shooting standards right resolution and that kind of thing whereas Rack is more modern. The camera and, and equipment they were using was more modern. Everything was kind of crisper. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know. So for for people 
I I don't know whether we're going to get many total horror newbies on this on this listening to this podcast, but for 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 the rare one who pops in, how would you describe a found footage film? Having so, having now become an expert in the genre after watching an this expert kid. in the genre, yeah. <laughs> so, found footage films are shot from first person perspective. They 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 usually there's some sort of premise that requires one of the the characters to be holding a camera and recording what's happening. And then throughout the events of the film, something happens that causes that footage to be lost. And then some undefined time in the future found and then turned into a film. I I think that would be my two cents description of what fan footage is. Yes. I think, think, and nobody criticised me if I'm wrong, the word might be diegetic, which is that... Mm. That the the making of the film is a reality within the fiction of the film. So it's not, you know, when we watch a film, we watch a film without any of the characters noticing there's a camera there <laughs> at, at the most basic level, right? Oh, so so it would be like if the characters were at a party, there was music playing. That music would be diegetic, as opposed yes. to like music that's added in the edit. Yeah, like a score is typically you, you don't get characters saying, "What's that music I can hear." <laughs> I'm just walking uh, yes. down the street. Why is there an orchestra? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so, so typically, found footage films are are people recording things within the fiction of the of the within the fiction of the film, and typically, it's like you say, from a kind of handheld footage point of view. I, I've made a note here. If you look back at kind of science fiction and, and horror stories, Dracula is arguably arguably an example of something like found footage. Drac- the, the book Dracula is made up of contemporary text like diaries and newspaper reports assembled into a narrative so from dracula let's fast forward to cannibal holocaust which was a (laughs) found footage film uh had a very similar mystique about it that the blair witch project had i think blair witch is probably a really you'd call cannibal holocaust almost certainly like a niche or a cult film blair witch really broke through to the mainstream i think (laughs) Uh, as an example, there's there's a it's parodied in one of the scary movie films, <laughs> uh, so that shows you the, the level of kind of mainstream penetration it got. Not a good enough excuse to say the word penetration, Peter. <laughs> Damn it! I'll try um, again next next it, time. <laughs> it's quite interesting though. You say that Cannibal Holocaust is is kind of very niche and quite a cult film, but I think it's niche in the people who maybe like it. But I feel like everyone knows about this horrible grotesque film that that was made what now 40 years ago yeah and people will will can refer to it as such without having seen it if, if you see what i mean yeah cannibal became a just a a, a, a trope connected with video nasties or, or with with violent horror films i think i, I watched uh mark kermode's review of uh, the texas chainsaw massacre and he made the same point about chainsaws uh, for some reason, cannibals and chainsaws were two of the things latched onto um, <laughs> by, uh, by by people worried about the damage horror films were causing. Um, and any any film featuring either was the victim of censorship. Well, yeah, yeah to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre was banned in Britain for like 25 years, right? Yes. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't researched <laughs> Texas Chainsaw. I'm leafing through my notes. Uh, well, th- you have seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre, haven't you? Yes, I've seen the original and one of the remakes. Right. There's a new remake. It's just landed on Netflix. And yeah, I feel like one of the promo shots is like Leatherface standing in an alleyway in the rain, looking all like 
gothic noir. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to see, you know, the, the noir detective rebirth of Leatherface. So, having talked a little bit about the, the past films, and we'll talk a bit more about the context of the Blair Witch when we come on to talk to it, but why would you say... I mean, did you find these, these films scary? And was that because they were found footage? And what is it about found footage you think is scary? So, I didn't... <laughs> I didn't really find the Blair Witch very scary. I found bits of Wreck quite scary. I think of the maybe, what, ten films that we've watched together over the last few months, it was the scariest one I've seen mm-hmm. uh, from that lot. For Blair Witch, I don't think it was any more or less scary because it was found footage. I think the found footage for Blair Witch made a lot of sense and worked really well. But it didn't impact the fear for me personally. Mm-hmm. But for Wreck, I think the different setting, the different kind of location that, you know, it is almost completely the opposite to Black Witch, right? Um, yeah. Going from a massive open forest to an incredibly claustrophobic, sort of tight tenement building or apartment bl- building. That claustrophobic, narrow, very fast-moving film, I think was made scarier by the the found footage nature. I think that first person in the action w- was scarier when there's more action. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things I would add. There's, there's this tension in films where, especially horror films, and Halloween, which we watched a little while ago, is a good example yeah. of this where you know something the characters in the film don't. Yeah. That can drive dramatic ironies is the term, I think. I don't know. Uh, Uh, Why not? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) And that can drive tension because, you you know, you know there's an enemy sneaking up behind. It's like a pantomime, you know, look behind you. (laughs) It can can really drive that tension. And, And, you know, directors can use, like, musical cues... But at the same time, there can also be tension driven by um, where you can't see what's behind a character. So yeah. you could have like a big empty space behind a character is like inherently tension inducing because you know there's a big space in which like an enemy could appear or, or something horrible could appear. Yeah. Or even if that space is trimmed off altogether, you get this sense that there's a void behind the character and you don't know what's in it. Uh, and potentially I think found footage plays into that because you can only see what the characters can see. Yes. So if there's something there that they're not able to see, you're also not able to see it. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I think that um, found footage plays with the structure and like dynamic of standard filmmaking, mm-hmm. and when it's done well, it's really really effective. Like that difference between normally the audience, even though might still be frightened, has that informational upper hand. Mm-hmm. And they can be saying to the um, to the characters, you know, why aren't you doing this? Why can't you do that? What you know? Whereas with found footage, you're only given exactly the information that the characters are given. So you kind of, you know, you're not quite so so confident to say, you know, don't go over there. The the murderer is over there, <laughs> because you only know as much as they know. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I think the other thing is there's a there's always an implicit uh, implication that the reasons the footage has been found is that because people something happened to the people who were making it. 
Yeah, I think this is a point that we both actually managed to bring up uh, separately. How does that affect the approach to the film? Because this isn't actually something that occurred to me until I was sitting down to like really think about how I felt about the films. Yeah. I think in some circumstances, so in The Blair Witch, for example, it's scary because you know they're not getting out of the woods, right? It's found footage. The whole premise going in is that the actors were missing, presumed dead, and the the footage was found. You know they're not getting out of the woods, but you don't know why. You don't know what's stopping them. You don't know what's going to happen to them. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Rack, I think that there could have been a lot of tension around, like, do they escape? Do the outside forces free them? You know, what what is going to happen? And if I'd thought about fan footage as a genre beforehand, maybe the ending wouldn't have had quite as much of an impact on me because I genuinely, like, I hadn't even seen the trailer. So I guess... Here's a good point to say that we will be talking about these films with spoilers. So if you haven't seen them, now is a really good opportunity to treat yourself to those movies. But I hadn't seen like the trailer of all the posters of Rack where at the very end she's like pulled away from the camera by the monster. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, up until that point, I was like, okay, maybe she's going to hide under this bed and escape. So yeah, I think found footage having like a, a constantly implied bad ending can both enhance and diminish the viewing. So the Blair Witch Project is the fan footage of three student filmmakers who go to Burkittsville in state? Is it Massachusetts? Ma- it's Maryland. Maryland. There are lots of M states. I knew it was one of them. <laughs> uh, go to a, a forest in... Go to a town in Maryland interview some locals about their local legends and then go out into the woods to see if they can find anything out about the the legend of the Blair Witch, which is something that Heather wants to make her her student documentary about. The film is really all about the tension between the characters as things go from bad to worse. You know, they start getting lost, someone bins the map, um, someone goes missing, it all kind of unravels from there yeah when i was thinking about it because i I didn't write synopsis for this but in a way not that much happens they they get because we (laughs) we had to answer the door halfway through because the pizza arrived and we were almost exactly halfway through the film and at that point i was absolutely astonished (laughs) at that point Almost nothing had happened where they they'd gone to basically, but but nothing, not much had happened. But it had set up everything that was going to happen. Yeah, so, I think we'd had you know a little bit of conflict between Heather and Mike. You know, Mike didn't think she knew where she was going, and I think maybe we were just about to get to the first kind of night camping session where things really start to ramp up. But yes. yeah, it, it was as far as halfway through before. There's really any peril? Yes. But even then, it's it's a case of something spooky happens at night. They increasingly get more lost and frustrated during the day. And then they go to, to bed again and more spooky stuff happens. And that's kind of a loop that happens about three times yeah. before we get to the climax. Uh, not that I'm, I'm saying it's bad. It's, it's, it's really effective because the tension and the relationships between the characters seem so... There's a lot of there's very similitude there. It feels all feels very real, right? Yeah, absolutely. I I think that is what young twenty somethings behave like. You know, 
I, I can definitely feel like I, I would really start to fly off the handle if uh, I was lost in the woods and someone had chucked the map in the river, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, has she just has she just recruited? It, it feels like Josh is more of a friend to Heather. And yeah, Mike is someone th- she knows less well. Yeah, I think that's how it's meant to be. Although I actually read that during the shooting, um, it was entirely improvised. All the dialogue and that kind of thing was entirely improvised, which is fascinating in itself. The arguments between Josh and Heather were um, much harsher and much meaner. They had to cut a lot of that out because the, oh, really? the beat of the story required Heather and Mike to be the antagonists towards each other. Whereas Josh was meant to be more of the peacekeeper. Um, yes, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I think that's how it's meant to be. The Josh and Heather know each other. Um, Heather's kind of roped him in to help with this. And then Mike, I, I don't know, I presume he's someone else on their course or just like a friend of a friend or an acquaintance, that kind of thing. So uh, the, the the titular Blair Witch, Ali. Yes. You made you made an interesting comment about, about the witch early on. Tell us who the witch is and and, and what she does. So this is, I think, one of the things that makes this film so effective. (laughs) And that's that you just don't know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, Heather never, never, like, sits in front of the camera and says, this is what the Blair Witch is and why I'm doing my documentary about this legend. Every one of the interviewed townspeople has a different story you know some of them talk about a witch and some of them talk about a big gravesite in the forest and some of them talk about like a murderer who had this house and you never see the witch um you never know what exactly is going on everything that happens to the characters happens at night they're in their tent and also you know it's it's night they're they're not on a floodlit set it's night and they've just got a couple of cameras so as much as the characters don't know what the fuck's going on we don't know what's going on the audience doesn't know what's going on either because the film has deliberately muddied the waters and kind of gone well you know there are all these local legends about this forest you can kind of take your pick about what you're going to be scared of yes yeah absolutely it, it's it's a it's a step up from not showing the enemy because or not showing the monster because what you can conjure up is scarier than than what's there. Uh, it even the abilities of the witch are left very vague. Uh, there's almost nothing that happens to them that couldn't be explained by something else. So that you know, some stones move in the right and the night, and they hear some strange noises. There's nothing that says that there's some supernatural creature who's doing that. Yeah, I think maybe the least explicable thing is the children laughing. And singing yeah, yeah, on, yeah. on one night. Yeah, like it would be very easy to kind of chalk it up to, well, you know, they told all these locals they were going into the woods to investigate this witch legend. So maybe it was some teenager's idea of a funny joke to follow them around and shake the tent and arrange some stones and that kind of thing. Yeah. But like it's still really unsettling. Like yeah. I, I couldn't convince myself, I don't think, that it was locals mucking around with them <laughs> yeah and even even the stuff like the i guess the implication is and, and they, they're more explicit about this in the remake that they're, they're stuck in some kind of geographical or 
time loop or geographical loop which they can't yeah, escape it's from. Some you sort know, of um, supernatural effect on the woods that means they just can't, like they just get turned around or, yeah. you know, the woods loop or something like that. But then again, they lost their map. So yeah. who's to say they don't know what they're doing? <laughs> yeah. They're just, they're, maybe they are just walking in circles. Doesn't say and anything they, supernatural has happened to them. Yeah. And the only evidence they've got that they've been going in circles that the, is that they found the same river and the same log. But yeah. like, I've been in loads of forests and logs all look the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I guess that that's a nice a, a nice segue into what the other thing I, I I really liked about it. So it's been a while since I've seen The Blair Witch and I thought my feeling would be that I wouldn't stand up as well, but I thought it did. I thought it was really good. I really, really enjoyed it. It must have been more than 10 years since I've seen it. But the aesthetic of the VHS recording and the fact that one of the cameras is black and white, mm. really, the forest all starts to look very similar very quickly. Yes. And there's something just inherently scary about the grainy footage of a forest because the, the way they move the camera, things could be, you know, in the trees. I thought at one point there was a figure in the background and it was like, oh, what's that in the background? And then I realised it was just one of the characters who was standing a bit further <laughs> away from the camera. Uh, when they started talking. But that kind of adds to the experience, you know? And I think this is one of the things... It's like the format, really. The format and the improvisation of the cast all kind of build on to give a really kind of grungy VHS aesthetic. And the fact that all the forest looks the same kind of almost like adds to the terror, right? Yeah, absolutely. The fact that so much of it is shot at night as well yeah uh, really builds on that kind of, because you know you can't tell one tree from another when it's dark <laughs> yes and there's even sequences um, where it's it's just pitch black right yeah yeah they're like they're running through the, the forest or you know that kind of thing and it's just i i know you're running because i can hear footsteps and panting and, and that kind of thing but like there's no visual cue for that right yeah um, i think the format as well this messy right it's amateur it's it's not professional it's not clean so at the very beginning, one of the interviews that they were doing, it, it's really grainy and low quality. And that's because the the actor <laughs> was confused about how the camera worked. But I think that <laughs> is a really effective way to build the narrative, right? It was almost like serendipity because I think it plays into what we already know about the characters, which is that they are not pros. They're coming to this completely underprepared. Yeah, yeah. And I think... Another part of the film where this format and these like two cameras kind of thing is really effective is right at the end. Yeah. Because I, I was really confused at first. I thought like maybe I wasn't understanding what was going on. And I think that's deliberate anyway. Um, that ending sequence is meant to be confusing. But we are seeing footage from one camera whilst hearing sound from another. Yeah, I think I think that that happens a few times where you get audio that doesn't line up with the visuals as well yeah it it feels like the audio is getting further away whereas you can see with the camera you're getting closer towards something and it's so Mm -hmm. weird and i think it's such a cool little like just another way to kind of mess with the viewer and like you don't really know what's going on here you don't even know where the characters are in relation to each other yeah yeah absolutely i think it's it's a it's a difficult line to tread in found footage in general that you don't want the audience not to be able to see what's happening but with too much polish it, it, you, it, you lose the found footage feeling 
exactly yeah yeah it becomes less scary as a result because it becomes very obvious it's it's a film <laughs> and it's directed Blair yeah. Witch f- absolutely does not feel like that I think this film is very much a product of the time. You've hinted at a few times now that the film was improvised. They did essentially drop the actors into a forest with some loose, loose notes of, of what the plot should be and then directions to find like another supply drop. And yeah. they filmed each other doing that. So the, the, the characters, the actors playing the characters, they would film themselves and they the, the act, names of the actors were the same as their real life names. They did a lot of... I don't know what you'd call it, like a viral marketing uh, yeah. uh, kind of activity. So they, they, they. I think they, they announced that the actors had gone missing and things like yeah, that. Yeah, they, they put them on IMDb as like missing, presumed dead. They had missing posters up of the, the <laughs> actors. So it, it, it's almost a perfect storm of that early internet or, or before we had um, a lot of the platforms we've got today on the internet. Yeah, the almost kind of like burgeoning an, of social media. Yeah, it was like, Enough a, like an for internet this kind of thing. Of, yeah, enough for this kind of thing to get passed from person to person, but not yeah. enough to easily determine that it's not real. Exactly, yeah, yeah. I think the same thing happened actually happened with Cannibal Holocaust as well. There was a lot of mystique mm-hmm. around the film. The same with Blair Witch. Uh, but the other thing that's interesting is that another film came out just before Blair Witch called The Last Broadcast. And I've talked to you about this as well. And it's, yeah. it's a that's set... It, it's a documentary, like a fictional documentary, about a murder that happened in a forest by some people making a TV show about supernatural phenomena. And it's New Jersey, which is, I don't know, just a few hundred kilometres, if that, from from Maryland as well. Yeah. And it's got that same kind of very low-tech, very grainy feel to it. It's not as good as Blair Witch, but it's interesting that two films, which reportedly didn't have anything to do with each other, covered such similar topics coming out around the same time. So if I, if I resort to cliche, you know, there's something in the water at the time which led to two very similar films popping up out of nowhere at the same time. The effort that went into the marketing of Blair Witch is what sealed the deal for them. Because didn't they they released, like, six months before the Blair Witch Project was released, a whole, yeah. like, mini-documentary about the legend of the Blair Witch to kind of seed the ground, so to speak. Yeah. I was exactly the right age as well. So I was in my late teens for all of that hype about a horror film to really hit and for it to be something exciting for us. I wasn't. I was only nine when The Blair Witch Project (laughs) came out. A little bit young, I think. Yeah. Um, So, uh, But the the thing is, in a weird way, right, I lived in a wooden cabin in the middle of some woodland. Yeah. And we listened to the radio a lot. So it kind of, even from that point, it made its way into my consciousness because, you know, just things being talked about in school, on the radio, my parents, that kind of thing. And then I had a career in marketing where obviously the Blair Witch gets talked about all the time, being the first example of viral marketing. So I I feel like I had my own, like, relationship with this film that's very, very different to, to the one you're describing. Yeah, yeah. I think with anything that is incredibly successful, you will have detractors, right? You will have people saying, oh, the cool thing about me is that I don't like this thing that everyone else likes. <laughs> yeah, so, Dave, Dave Gorman has a routine and he calls them extractor fans. Extractor fans, I love that. <laughs> the, the, the fans of extracting the fun out of things. <laughs> yeah, so I th- there, were, there were some people that just saw this success and just lashed out against it. 
And so as a result, Blair Witch Project as a film and also Heather as a lead actress were nominated for Razzies uh, and Heather uh, won the Razzie for Worst Leading Actress. And I think, well, so I think there are a lot of things at play and I think most of them are cultural Mm -hmm. because I don't think that her performance could realistically be criticised. Like, Mm -hmm. I think every performance in that film was excellent. But I think there was a lot of pushback on her being, like, the leader of this project. Right. You know? There was arguing. There were points where she was shrill. She was screaming. You know, she was, like, getting really almost hysterical at one point where it was revealed that Mike had thrown the map away. And in the 1990s, I guess that sort of... (laughs) feminism wasn't what people wanted Mm. um people wanted the sort of feminism that we saw from silence of the lambs which we discussed last time you know clarice was sort of traditionally pretty she played within the rules she didn't disrespect any men you know she didn't scream she didn't have emotions heather's Um, definitely a character who would be described as bossy rather than assertive or confident yeah if if she exhibit if if she was a man exhibiting the same behaviours, she'd be described very differently, I, f- I feel. Yeah, she would have been the leader. She would have been, you know, confident. She would have been, like you said, assertive. She would have been sure of herself. But no, because she's a woman, she got just awful reception. And I think it's so, so unfair. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think it's incredibly unfair. The um, amount of work the actors went through in this film is is incredible. Um, I don't even know whether I can wholeheartedly... I'd, I said this to you, I think, when we were watching or after we watched. I don't know whether I can wholeheartedly endorse the treatment they went through, but I don't know what they agreed to beforehand. Because a lot of what we see, it's not necessarily unsimulated. It's, yeah, it's well, not, they sorry, were yeah. genuinely being deprived of food, you know? Like, they weren't starving, yeah. but they were, ha- like, by the end... They just had like a power bar and an apple and some water for the whole day. Yeah, yeah. And so the irritability and anger, like, try as you might, if you've gone eight days eating barely enough to survive, you will be pissed off at the drop of a hat. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely, yeah. People are very inclined to agree with... There's a scene, and this this particular scene I found absolutely heart-wrenching, where Josh points the camera at Heather and says, you know, this is your motivation. You've taken your friends into the woods and you're lost and there's no help and you're going to die. And basically just... It's an absolute... I think you called it a character assassination. Um, <laughs> And I think a lot of people agree with that. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of people agree with Heather's apology, where she sort of says it's her her fault and she's apologising to, you know, that incredibly iconic scene where the camera's up close and she's crying. <laughs> and I just feel like I would not be able to blame anyone in that situation. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, okay, maybe she was underprepared. Maybe she didn't, she wasn't quite as good at navigating as she thought. But like... Clearly, something is happening that is beyond yeah. it being someone's <laughs> fault. <laughs> no, no, um, exactly. Yeah, you're dealing well, potentially dealing with some kind of supernatural, malevolent presence. It's hard to it's hard to blame someone for, ha- for having them walk in circles. Yeah, but I think a lot of people do pin their sense of blame for that movie on her, and I think mm. it's 
very unfair. She she was essentially in a no-win situation, right? Yeah. Once they got past a certain point, they weren't coming out of the forest anyway, were they? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think Heather was pretty hard done by, pretty unfairly treated. Uh, you know, it's so bad that she she's not in show business anymore. She, she got out of it entirely. It's brutal, especially considering how influential. I mean, it, it, it reinvigorated a whole genre of cinema and spawned at least a decade of, of sort of direct copycats. Yeah. Speaking of films that were spawned as a result of The Blair Witch... <gasps> do I just like to, to segue? You do indeed. Uh, the second film that we're going to talk about is Wreck from 2007. Peter, would you like to give us a little brief synopsis of the movie? We have Wreck, a 2007 Spanish found footage horror film directed by Yom Balaguerro and Paco Plaza. The film follows a Spanish TV crew recording a program called While While You Sleep, is it called? While You Sleep, yeah. Yeah. They follow a, a team of firefighters into a an apartment building investigating a, a locked-in case. They quickly get sealed inside the building for unknown reasons and... I guess things just escalate very quickly from that point. <laughs> yeah. Um, we have zombies, we have creepy girls, we have jump scares, some fantastic jump scares. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just an all-round blast. All filmed as found footage. Uh, early on, it's established that the presenter of the show tells the cameraman to not stop filming anything. And that's that's why he keeps recording through the whole, <laughs> through the whole, the whole affair. Yeah, it, it becomes a bit of um, a touchstone, Angela, like, repeatedly telling Paco to keep filming, don't stop filming. For fuck's sake, Paco, keep filming. Yeah, yeah. There's even situations where he's not helping out other people being attacked because he's busy filming them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Paco, put the camera down. Pablo. Is it Pablo? Pablo. Did I say Paco? You might it's have done Pablo. I can't You're right. Yeah, Pablo. It is pa- Pablo. Pablo. Yeah. Put the camera down and, like, knock that played zombie by on the head, a, man. Played by an actor called Pablo, in fact. Will, love that. Um, so yeah, I, I guess let, let's let's start with the contrast with Blair Witch. Yes. To me, Blair Witch, as we've just finished talking about, was I guess understated. There was no jump scares. There was no things looming in the shadows at night. There was no monsters. We've uh, got all of that in. We've rack. got all of that <laughs> almost straight away. <laughs> There's zombies pretty yep. pretty early on. The old lady has been bitten and turned into a zombie, and things are like jumping out at you and and lurching at the camera from that point on. What what did what did you make of that of, of the change in pace? I really liked Rack. Yeah, like I said, I thought it was the scariest film that we've watched together so far. What was it that made it the most scary to you? <sighs> that is such a good question and such a hard question to answer. <laughs> like I knew you were going to ask me, and I, it's so difficult to kind of summarize. I think so. I live in a building that could be that building, right? Like yes. I live in an Edinburgh tenement with those tightly wound stairs where you can kind of look up all the way up to the top so that that setting is is quite like uh close to home literally yeah. i think it's so it's a fan footage right but it's also a zombie film yeah. and i have been a fan of zombies as a, as a monster for quite a long time since since i was in school so i kind of very quickly stopped finding them scary and i think a lot of more modern zombie content goes this way where they make the human conflict around the zombies the scary thing yeah. And I also think a lot of zombie media is focused around 
post outbreak. Mm-hmm. And there's very little that gets the magnifying glass out and um, zooms in on this tiny, tiny scale, right? The area that this film takes place in is so small and it's so familiar to me and I assume to other people, right? Like an apartment block is is a, a common place yeah. thing around the world. And I, I don't know, something about that, like that genesis, that not knowing. And there was something really effective about the zombies, right? They mm. were so, ag- they're so aggressive. They're fast. They're, they're brutal. There's a lot of like not knowing when someone will turn. So there's a, a guy from the, the Spanish equivalent of the CDC comes in and says incubation period is dependent on blood type so like there's a little girl who's been sick for like days and hasn't turned yet at the start of the film but you know the the cdc agent himself goes within minutes there's so much uncertainty you're inherently properly in the thick of the action as well because you are you are behind this camera with pablo yeah Um, yeah and he's deliberately trying to get all the good bits. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. I didn't think of it like that. I think, so I, I found this, I watched this film first, probably not long after it came out at a zombie film festival. And honestly, like watching a horror film with a fan of, of diehard horror fans is a great way to experience it. You get all sorts of stuff, like people cheering at the right moments and everyone jumping at the right moments as well. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just an absolute blast. So, so yeah, it, it, I think there's just an intensity to the film. And I really felt this on the rewatch, maybe because we just watched Blair Witch as well. It yeah. doesn't ever really let up. There's one sequence where that she interviews some of the residents of the building. Mm. And aside from that and the introduction sequence, that's about the only time that the characters aren't in peril. Yeah. And the tension and the pace of it just seems to keep on getting higher. Even often you'll get like a jump scare, which will relieve some of the tension. Uh, and there's a fantastic jump scare early on. I think one of my favourite jump scares in cinema, uh, where the, a body just drops into the foyer. It gets um, me every single time. I did not... Yeah, obviously, I did not know that was going to happen. And <laughs> I just about shit a brick. <laughs> I read, actually, today, the actors didn't know that was going to happen. Yeah, so yeah that I knew that. <laughs> absolutely genuine fear. <laughs> and it's, it's just at the end of a scene where the tension between the characters, it's not even that you're you're waiting it's not like quiet 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 bang yeah everyone's shouting everyone's confused everyone's angry and then that just cuts straight through the pettiness of the disagreements and the the confusion that's that's going on uh it's yeah it's one of the i think one of the best jump scares that i've seen in films Yeah, I, I, it, I would agree. I would agree. There's a, there's a great jump scare, famously in The Exorcist Three, um, which I haven't seen in its, I haven't seen the film in its entirety, but I've seen the scene in which the jump scare occurs, and that is that's also really good. <laughs> but Wreck is right up there. Just the bam, so good, so good. And I feel like it's so jump scares tend to just uh, so I will be scared for an instant and then really cross. <laughs> like that that a film has had to resort to a jump scare i i know that there are some people who love that sort of five night at freddy's constantly like you don't know what's gonna leap out at you thing but mm. i i don't like jump scares personally very much unless they're good yeah and i think that that one is is good it's not there for the sake of it i don't think the film would be the same without it yeah yeah yeah, so, so so the other thing I think, you mentioned this as well, and when you mentioned it, it really like, it rang really true to me, 
was I think someone had fired a gun or something like that. It's quite early on. Does yeah, it, does yeah. Zombie kind of coming towards the character and the policeman character obviously whips out his gun and shoots shoots an innocent old lady. But the the gunshots sound so loud. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. That applies to a lot of stuff in the film. There's like a a lot of the characters are shouting all the time. Yeah. But the way. I think it's the way the, ed- the the sound's been edited. Things that are loud sound very loud, even if yes. obviously it's not physically loud. It feels loud and chaotic, uh, especially with the first person point of view as well. And mm. it adds to the intensity as like as the, the tension in the film does get higher as it goes through. The, the loudness and the uh, and, and the intensity of stuff shaking. Uh, and even the characters, as they're nervous, like, so, like, getting, you know, it, it yeah. just really, really gets to me. I absolutely yeah. love it. Aside from the very end sequence, which, of course, is very quiet. Yeah, it completely get... changes tone in the last 10 minutes or so. Yeah. And then I guess the other thing I wanted to, you, you mentioned the location. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. There's almost like a, it's almost like a House of Leaves thing that the, the yeah. building they're in seems to keep on unfolding. You've got yeah. like an office and a I workshop. think we talked about this a lot of the time, right? Yeah. The location is almost a character in and yeah. of itself, right? Yes, absolutely, yeah. And, and it gives a good reason why the characters can't just run off from what's happening. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're physically sealed inside. Yeah, it's 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 claustrophobic. And I think I wrote like an inverse Dante's Inferno. <laughs> the film kind of heads to this climax at the top of the building, which is referenced mm. early on in the film. And yeah, is left um, unknown. Chekhov's check right penthouse flat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but it's like you've almost got to the origin of what's happening when you get there. Yeah. Shall we talk about the ending a bit then? Yes. Now, y- you tell me what you think of the ending, because I'm... I think I had mixed thoughts on it on this viewing. What what did you think? I thought the the darkness was really cool. In suddenly going from this well lit space to complete darkness, and then even to like uh, looking through the night vision viewfinder on the camera, and going from people bickering, uh, people shouting, zombies screaming to absolute silence. You know where the loudest thing is is the characters breathing. A lot of the time, when you get a very very abrupt change in tone like that, it leads to a kind of dissonance, right? Where you're kind of like, well, everything's changed, so. I kind of reset how I feel about things. But this, really, I feel like it really ramped things up um, by taking away everything that, every tool that the the characters had to to keep going. Again, another really effective jump scare when Pablo is panning the camera around in the attic, right? You know, you absolutely know with your (laughs) whole heart that there is going to be something in that attic. And it it just keeps it from you until the very last second. And then you like you get this just microscopic flash of this like creepy child hitting the camera. And like uh again, so effective. The best jump scares are the ones that scare you even when you know they're coming. Yes. That one still um, gets me. I remember the first time I saw it, I, it absolutely scared the crap out of me. That The image of the, the kid in the attic, I think not long after that, I moved to a house where there was like an attic. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, it was scared every time I walked past the hatch in the ceiling. I was still oh, scared. No. <laughs> yeah, especially because it just like drops open, right? Like they yes. don't open it or anything. It just mysteriously <laughs> reveals itself. <laughs> and then, so the the creature... 
right? The Patient zero. Yeah. A very effective, scary creature, I thought. So, like, humanoid, but so alien-looking. I don't know why it's wearing little pants. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so alien. And so not only does it look like it could bite your face off and twist you around like a bit of spaghetti, it's also carrying a hammer. I know, like, I know, I know. <laughs> just to kind of really push it up a notch, it, implying it's got some sort of intelligence or understanding, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's scary. So I guess what I haven't talked about is the change from this is an infection spread by saliva to this is something completely out with biology. Yes, yes. There's a lot of... Uh, so uh, we haven't really talked about, for anyone who hasn't seen the film, which it, I don't know whether it's necessarily made much sense what we said, but right at the end, when they get into the penthouse at the top of the building, it's established the the owner of the penthouse lives in Madrid, I think? Yes, the man from uh, Madrid, I think he's referring to. The man to. from Madrid, yeah. And it's it's obvious when they get to the... I, I did find this a bit clunky on this, this viewing. When they get into the penthouse, there's a lot of... News, it's a bit Pepe Silvia... There's lots of newspaper pinned up on the walls and it's like all the headlines explain the backstory of what's happened. Yeah, None of that like possession and... And they find a video... <laughs> they find an audio tape, an audio log. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> an actual <laughs> honest-to-God audio I know. <laughs> it, it was exactly like you said at the time, right? It's like that same sort of storytelling that you get in video games. Yeah. Something is really essential to tell... But it's really hard to work it into the content in any other way than literally just, here's a tape that that literally tells you. (laughs) Someone telling you what it is. None of that's really explained at all through the visuals. And I guess maybe this is where a film that wasn't doing found footage would find another way to to tell that bit of the story. And, you know, maybe they could have used a tape, like an actual tape that they spliced in at this point to tell it. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, it, it becomes obvious that the person who owned the flat, there was there was a girl, there was some suggestion that was the girl had been possessed. I think, did she, was she, she didn't die? She, she, she's basically the origin, yeah. the originator of this zombie yeah, plague. It, it seems like the, the man from Madrid is looking for, like, a vaccine against demonic possession yes is yes. what i got from it and but the you know he was making progress he, he found the right enzyme but then all he did was make it 10 times worse <laughs> yeah yeah i think it slows down and i don't even think it makes a full amount of sense what happened it, it, the, the film doesn't really explain what happened no. How the plague got out of this room. Yeah, like, because he says, you know, it needs to be kept locked up. If there's complete darkness, that's the only time it can affect you. Or maybe that's the only time it can't affect you. I wasn't quite clear on that. <laughs> but, like, why was it suddenly out? To me... It's a good question. <laughs> like, so... I liked and disliked the ending. Yes. If I was reading this as a book, I would be refreshing Waterstone's website for the sequel, right? I would want the next book. But I think books tell stories in very different ways to movies. And I don't feel especially compelled to go and watch Wreck 2. No, I love Wreck. I would say Wreck is one of my favourite horror films. But I'm exactly the same. I, to this day, haven't seen any of the films in the franchise on the Spanish side. I've seen the American remake. And again, I haven't watched any... Right. Yeah, Quarantine. I haven't watched any sequels to Quarantine. Because, you know, I think Wreck just does what it does so effectively. I don't... Yeah. I'm not in it for the story. I'm in it for the experience of watching it, I guess. Yeah. I, I, I kind of thought, 
oh, maybe the man from Madrid brought back some bugs from Madrid to study and they had a virus. You know, maybe it's like something like that. You know, they're going to find some... Like, it was kind of apparent that they were going to find something in this apartment. But I I think the weakest part is that it just seems to be setting up for a sequel. Yes. Right? It's it's kind of waving a big sign that says, I've got loads more shit to tell you. Go buy the next DVD. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I can feel that. I can feel that. Um, in a way, it would almost be better with far more left unsaid. Yeah, just from I, from, I, from a story point of view. Yeah, I, I think if they wanted to go that direction, they could have started off that story in the next film or something like that. Like, I don't think the ending was bad. When the lights it, go out, it's undeniably scary, and that final yeah. shot of of the protagonist just being dragged backwards into the dark, it's haunting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, that shot really stayed with me as well. It's just so horrible. Yeah, and she just kept filming, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes films leave you with a lot of questions, and they deliberately don't answer them, right? The Blair Witch does it, but wreck messes with that it also leaves you not knowing stuff but in a completely different way that diminishes for me the really really good like zombie infection story that it's been telling yeah yeah i I can i can see where you're coming from and i don't necessarily disagree Uh, i think as an experience it's like a it's a wild ride (laughs) There's, there's, there's a quote for the box and the stuff it does really well is like the intensity and the loudness and the claustrophobia and the disorient disorientating nature of how it's filmed and, and how it's edited the overall plot is considerably more silly whereas the Blair Witch is just the the unknown nature of the enemy is of of keep saying enemy like we're playing the <laughs> video game i don't know why it's stuck in my head the boss the, the boss <laughs> the boss monster <laughs> that's really where the fear comes from there isn't it and the the relationships between the characters although the two films are very superficially similar in that they're people creating a film or a tv show they go into a hostile environment uh, it's all found footage the, the kind of the source of the fear across the two of them is quite different yeah so i think one of the biggest questions that a found footage film has to answer is why is the character still filming? Yes, absolutely, yes. <laughs> why have they not put the camera away? Why have they not just stopped? Why can't they just leave it alone? And I think one of the effective things that both of these films do is answer that question in a... You've got to suspend disbelief a little bit. You're still watching a movie, but you can sort of accept the answer to that question. Um, yes. And in fact, the the Blair Witch Project and Rack both bring it into the film, right? Like they bring it into the characters' motivations. It is kind of set up right from the very beginning. With the Blair Witch, they want to make this documentary, and then it gets to the point where they don't think they're going to get out, and Heather needs to be behind a screen. It's one more step away from reality. You know, to a certain extent, maybe has this in the back of her mind, you know, like, people need to know what happened. We're going to die in these woods. I'm going to record it. Yeah. Because maybe it will help people find out the truth. What's What's interesting is... The, the the idea of the crew being pulled into the fiction of what they're recording. There's another I guess you call it found footage. There's a there's a film, it's a very black mockumentary, uh, called Man Bites Dog, where the, the, the camera crew are making a documentary about a serial killer. Right. And they slowly get pulled in and implicated and 
in 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 his crimes, okay. they start participating in the carnage that he's he's wreaking. Um, I, I found it a really disturbing film, actually, but kind of a good example of found footage. It came out, I think it was early nineties that came out. That's, I guess, you could say that's a mockumentary with a found footage feel. But you jump forward, kind of 10, 15 years from that, you've got the American Office, Parks and Rec, Modern Family, all being filmed using some of the language of found footage. But yet, the camera crew are are not a presence in yeah. the program. So people in like Parks and Rec, people will do interviews to the camera. Yeah, they'll talk but, through the fourth wall. Yeah, who are they talking to? Is the, why is the camera crew there? Why is the camera crew recording them at all points? Yeah. When you think about it, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Especially when you're used to things like both Rec and, and Blair Witch Project, where the camera crew is, is, a, is a physical presence within the fiction of what you're watching. Yeah. And this, I think they did that later on in the later series of The Office. You know, the camera crew kind of come on, on screen. And it's a very disorientating feeling <laughs> after them not being acknowledged for like the eight years before then <laughs> yeah i you know i i think rack has just as good a answer to that question wherein it they're literally making a tv show the purpose of them being there is to record what's going on and then yeah. when they get shut in and the government won't tell them what's going on we need to bring this to light we need to show the people what's happening <laughs> You know, There's a great it, it, bit right after they, I think it's the very first attack of a zombie. Um, everyone's quite quite shaken by it. And Angela, the the, um, the, the, the presenter. The presenter, yeah. She, she goes up to, she, she looks shaken and she goes up to Pablo and she says, the thing that's, that the first thing she says is, did you get that? Yeah. As if yeah. the thing she's most concerned about is making sure it's on, it's on camera. Yeah. Yeah, like, while you still believe you're going to get out alive, you want to make the best TV show that you can. And then when you don't think you're going to get out alive, you need the footage to tell your story for you when you can't. Yeah. And I, while I'm not sure that that's necessarily a justification on its own, I think being built into the TV show, the the documentary, you know, those kind of those things kind of are, are more than the sum of their parts. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was found footage. That was The Blair Witch Project and Wreck. I hope anyone who watched along also enjoyed them. Ali, I think you, you, enjoy, you enjoy both these films. Yeah, I, I really liked them. Um, highest, I feel like... Highest approval rating so far, I think, for our movie nights. <laughs> you know what? Uh, that's difficult because we watched Halloween and The Thing, which was what, what, a what? pretty pretty stellar combo of films. <laughs> yeah. Two um, of my favorites. Definitely the scariest movie night. Well... Let's see if we can top that in the future. <laughs> what are we watching next time so people can watch in advance? So next time we're going to watch loosely... What, 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 what did we say? What did we say? Um, I think I, I grouped these as coming-of-age films. Yeah. I think that's uh, a pretty loose loose theme in, in yeah, one of them. But... <laughs> tenuously but thematically linked. Coming-of-age yes. slash growing pains. Um, we're going to watch Ginger Snaps and Jennifer's Body. Now this is... Uh, interesting in that ginger snaps i saw when i was about 12 or 13 maybe i mm. want to say um so i've got really like murky memories of it that i'll be interested to kind of recontextualize and then jennifer's body i know absolutely nothing about other than you bloody love it <laughs> <laughs> lots of people love it our, our friend will really loves it. yeah it's it's a film which oh i'll save all my takes we can talk about yes. it next time that's what it's for so yeah, if, if you want to watch along, check out both of those films. Certainly Jennifer's Body is easy, easy to find on streaming platforms. 
So thank you for listening. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Done to Death Cast. Ali, where can people find out more about you? You can find me most places at Shanodin. That's S-H-A-N-O-D-I-N. Twitter and most things you can find from there. And what about you, Peter? I am United everywhere. That's U-N-I-T-L-E-D. I'm on Twitter and steam and uh, twitch and reddit and loads of places so please say hello if you see me and i also run a podcast on arkham horror the card game you can find that on podbean and and you can now find done to death on podbean and spotify and apple podcasts and all that stuff so you should be able to listen to it wherever you like amazing thank you for listening yeah thanks everyone i'm very glad to now have contacts as to why my partner really hates it when i stand in the corner (laughs) Ha 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 ha!